Previously on 80s High. I want to talk about one of the most imaginative games of my childhood. We're going to talk about Super Mario Brothers 3. Oh my God. On the next episode oh. of 80s High. Great pick. Super excited. Uh, I'm going to do a bunch of mushrooms for it because it seems appropriate. <laughs> uh, so I can get bigger and record louder. Get your warp whistles. Put on your tanuki suits and get ready to throw some hammers. That's right, everyone. Welcome back to 80s High, the gold star podcast that revisits all the greatest movies, television, music, comics, books and games from the 80s. We're your hosts. I'm Ben. I'm Chris, and let me just tell you folks, on iTunes, it's nothing but five-star reviews. That's right! The gold standard. Thank you, everybody, who has given us a rating. We really appreciate it. We know you don't have to do it, and uh, thank you kindly. You'll notice tonight our our voices sound crystal smooth, honey syrupy clear, Mm. uh, because we're recording one night later than normal, because how was our weekend, Chris? Oh, Lord have mercy. I think... There was an invasion of the pollen monsters. Spring has sprung a little early, not according to the calendar. Has it not? Goodness. And if we tried to record last night, it would have been the most disgusting thing to hit your ears this entire year. And I've told Ben, I've listened to other podcasts where people are burping, clicking things. There's all sorts of nasty noises that should never make it into a podcast. But those would pale in comparison to what we would have both sounded like yesterday. It was gross. Awful. When when 8 o'clock was rolling around and I just listened to myself, I was like, I I can't even fake this on the microphone. This is is disgusting. I was sneezing so much, I just shoved Kleenex up my nose and left it there for (laughs) hours. I'm not kidding. Do you do that too? I do that too sometimes. That's all you can do. Because you're going to run out of tissue otherwise. Yeah, and and you just have to keep blowing your nose. I'm like, that's the level we were at. Gross, gross, gross. It's like in Weird Science when she turns the older brother Chet into like the blob gross monster. (laughs) He's a a pile of crap. He's a pile of crap, exactly. Uh, That's what we said. It was disgusting. Um, Nasty. Also in the world of audio purity, Mm. there's a piece of hardware missing from the basement tonight. And you'll notice, as you can see on camera between us, there is nothing in my hand. There is no mouse. (laughs) I have left the mouse in another room of the house. Benjamin Uh, may have been admonished recently. Uh, The big episode, he was a click monster. I asked him how many games of solitaire he played during that episode because it was like, it was nonstop clicking. Did you ever, like, in a public speaking course or, like, theater class or something, they'll tape you and then you have to watch yourself and you get to see all your, like, your little isms and things you've got to stop? 
Oh, it was terrible. I did a mock interview for like a career center. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. You're like, I look like that. I sound like that. I'm clicking this. I'm saying like 50 times. I know on this podcast, I listen back to myself. I say kind of, sort of, way too much. Drives me bonkers. Yeah. Well, and I'm never going to give up on what? I mean, that's just okay. That's acceptable. That's That's endearing. That's normal. That's endearing. Um, So it took Chris finally texting me an audio clip from one of our last episodes to hear me being like, hey, click, click, Chris, click, click. What do you... Click, click, think was click, click, cool, click, click. So I was like, okay, clicking. I get it. I, I need to get rid of the mouse. It was egregious. And I'm clicking because I'm like, I'm looking stuff up while we're talking. I'm scrolling through my show. It was notes. Like, <laughs> I'm pregnant. Like I could feel the vibrations in your microphone of you spinning that mouse wheel. So <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. So all of this is to say, I think this is going to be the most purely recorded episode we've done so far. I mean, I'm in my sweat tent. I've got my moving blanket hanging up to reduce the echo. We're getting there. We're going to sound legit one of these days. We're getting close. <laughs> we're getting real close to sounding legit. But we're we're deep in the double digits now. We can't be messing around. Once no. we hit episode 20, if we keep sounding like this, those five stars are going to turn into like zero Don't stars. It. Don't say it. Zero no! stars. No. Zero lives. No, no, no. You cannot save and continue back at start. In an entire service industry that is based on reviews, Trip and Yelp and all this stuff, we yeah. can't we can't get anything less than five. They'll shut us down. That's right. That's it. That's right. Uh, speaking of sounding authoritative and legit, uh, I feel like an adult voice needs to come in here a minute and tell us what our day has in store for us. We finally need to get an adult voice in the mix. Let's see if we, <laughs> if we can conjure that right now. Attention 80s high. I'm Nathan, here to share today's homeroom announcements. If you're sick of people thinking you're a furry when you wear your tanuki suit out in public, then follow 80s High Podcast on Instagram. Today's lunch menu will include a deliciously exotic mushroom and piranha plant frittata. Be as cool as Larry, Morton, Wendy, Iggy, Roy, Lemmy, and Ludwig, and join the class of 80s High. Get a peek behind the 8-bit red curtain and learn about episode topics in advance, take sweet surveys, and even lend your voice to a future episode. Email 80shighpodcast at gmail.com to join. That's 80s. After school today, the Warp Whistle Wind Ensemble will hold a recital in the Angry Sun Auditorium. Don't forget to cheer on our Mogwais this Friday night when they take on the Giant Koopas in the State Hide and Seek Championships. Thank you and have a tubular tastic day. Go Mogwais! So I know you're very passionate about today's topic, which means we have a lot to cover. So like a really awesome, like 14 minute speed run on YouTube. We're going to have to bust through this time. I'm running right now. My stamina meter is at full max. My arms are stretched either side. And you hear that. You're Naruto running? I'm Naruto running. Let's Naruto run the class. We made it. it. I misplaced your reference. That's not the neuter one. That's your, you're in your, uh, tiki- what's this? Tequila suit? The raccoon suit. Yeah, the tequila suit. It's a Shut tequila up. suit. That's what it is. Tanuki. Tanuki? It's just running. Okay. Yuki, Tamiki. You need to stop. It's just any running, regardless of the size of Mario or the suit he's wearing. Okay. So apparently we really need this show to introduce Ben to what Super Mario Brothers is because he just played the whole game and clearly has no clue what happened. <laughs> oh my God, wait, is that the topic we're doing tonight? Oh, no I, I, honking clue. I've studied the Naruto run for two weeks. I did oh, the wrong topic. Yeah. Okay, well, we're gonna, let, me get, let me try to get you up to speed here. 
So, of course, I'm jazzed. We're talking this week about Super Mario Brothers 3, the ultimate of the Mario series. I'm going to just say it. The dun, crown dun, jewel. Dun, the, ooh, the red Peaky Blinders hat has been thrown. Indeed. Okay, so what is Super Mario Brothers 3? It's, of course, a platform game developed and published by the one and only Nintendo for the Famicom in Japan and the Nintendo Entertainment System here in the States. Also, bidding. Players control brothers Mario or Luigi, and your goal is almost every single one of these games, save Princess Toadstool, and the rulers of seven different kingdoms from the baddie, the ever-antagonist, Mr. Bowser. Mm. And much like in previous games, you defeat enemies by stomping on them using items that bestow magical powers. Oh. So there you have it. So how did this game come to be? Of course, Mario, the first one, huge success. This blows up in Japan. I also want to put out there, like, Super Mario Brothers feels like an entity that, to me, never did not exist. Like, it is just something that feels like it was just always there everywhere. So I'm actually very curious to hear about its origin, because it's just like, to me, it's like air and land. It just is. Yeah. The game eventually comes to the U.S., also a huge success, and there's a big fervor for a follow-up. And so in Japan, they release Super Mario Brothers 2, 1986. Problem is, it's almost identical in its look to the first game. More so, it is like a thousand times more difficult than the first game. This is like if you gave a sadist Super Mario Maker and said, make the most ridiculous level on Earth, challenge accepted. That's basically what this game was. So much so that when it came to Nintendo of America, they gave a hard pass on Mario 2. American audiences don't want this. We're not releasing this game. So with that being rejected, what Nintendo of America decided to do was to reskin a completely different game and turn it into a Mario Brothers sequel. That's why we get the very wonky standout game in the series, Super Mario Brothers 2, in the United States. We have to go back to Super Mario Bros. 2 at some point as a topic. Because yes. it is so Freaking weird, and the art is so different. It's just nuts. I really want to do Mario 2. Because it was not created as a Mario game. It was was a fully developed game in Japan called Yume Kojo Doki Doki Panic. It means, roughly, Dream Factory Heart Pounding Panic. What? So that's the game. So that's why the mechanics aren't very similar. The art style is a little different. There's no Bowser. It's like a toad monster. It's just a weird entry into the series because they reskinned a completely different game. And that's what they released here. And this was meant to kind of hold over the the U.S. gamers until they could come out with the next game. So Mario 2 is released in the United States in 1988. So that's the second Mario Brothers. Okay. And so to understand kind of where Nintendo's at at this point in time, Mario, as I mentioned, massive hit in Japan, in the U.S., around the world, really. And a sequel, a true sequel, is hugely anticipated. Because one of the big things is like, you know, the sequel in Japan, fine. But they're like, it's the same game. It's the same art. Like, it looks virtually identical. Like, we want a new game. And Nintendo's in a very precarious situation. Why? Because they need to hold over the Nintendo a little bit longer because they're not ready Mm. to release the Super Famicom or the Super Mm. Nintendo. Mm -hmm. They were still in development and their competitors were really close to releasing their 16-bit systems, which meant that anything that Nintendo's going to do, it's going to be inferior because people are going to, you know, they're going to graduate, right? The new system comes out, you want the new thing. Mm -hmm. So they needed to create a big marquee 
Apex game for the Nintendo and the Famicom as like a last hurrah and a big farewell to the 8-bit system. And they figured, well, we're of course going to put our hat. What kind of hat? What'd you call that? I called it like a Peaky Blinders hat, which is the first thing that came to mind. What do, what do you call that? It's like the old like... Ma- it's like the corner mailboy hat. Like, yeah. babes here, paper here. Like, extra, what is that? Extra, extra, read all about it, mister. Yeah, it's like that little hat. You know, they had to rest their hat on this property. Because they're like, okay, Mario, we're going to make a huge, huge game. So Mario Brothers 3 is starting to be developed in earnest. And it takes over two years to develop. Under the main direction of developer Shigeru Miyamoto. Mm-hmm. And Koji Kondo comes back as the lead composer. He had been the composer for the two previous Mario games. He obviously had his work cut out for him because those soundtracks, massive. And he found himself in a really precarious situation. How do you, you know, strike gold yet again? So they came into this game with a couple of things. They wanted it playable across all ages and skill levels. Okay. Remember, this is Nintendo. There's no save feature. So if you stop playing this game, you have to start from square one again. You don't get to pick up where you left off. We don't get these, what are they called, state saves that you had, mister, when you played the game? We're going to get into how you played this game. Oh, but yeah. Well, I knew we were going to have to admit that. They wanted all new design assets. No holdovers from previous titles. There's going to be no reused art. This game ends up being 12 times the size of the original game. From Super Mario Brothers? From Super Mario Brothers. 12 times as big. All right, so what were some other great features of this game? Well, there's a theatricality to this game. The game, when it opens up, that opening screen, the red curtain goes up. A lot of the assets in the background look like they're bolted, like a stage, like, you know, the props and everything. And every level ends with you exiting stage right. Oh, that's right. There's always that little kind of, it's like the little cutaway. You you go into the black. It's like you're going off stage. Oh. Again, very subtle, but I was like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Also, the designer puts eyes on almost everything. If you go back and look at that game, clouds, cacti, everything has eyeballs. It's amazing. I really noticed that. Like everything is, is um, what's the word for that? Like anthropomorphized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That perseveres through like the rest of Nintendo Mario properties for ever. Like inanimate stuff is alive yeah, with eyes. Absolutely. Gives it a little bit of a little bit of life and a little bit of charm. I was gonna say charm, or do you feel do you feel haunted by that, or do you feel okay by that? By the properties of the Uncanny Valley, I do not feel it goes into the creepy side. All right. Was anything to you like a little bit too humanized? I do strangely feel very uncomfortable around the piranha plants. Like they sort of creep me out a little bit. They don't have eyes though, but there is something that's just very uncomfortable about that. Well, it's like Little Shop of Horrors. You've been absolutely programmed. To think that those monsters are going to destroy you. I mean, piranhas and oh. like Venus flytraps and all those things. They're terrifying things sure. in real life. For sure. Let alone when they come out of a pipe and shoot fireballs that at you. That you didn't even know they were going to be in there. Exactly. Oh, man. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so another big thing that they did in this game is they had distinct worlds. You know, in the previous two games, you just went from one level to the next. You never really had a sense of where you were. You were just kind of off to the next thing. Mm-hmm. They had world numbers and all that, but it didn't really matter. This one, you had a map that was traversable. You could move your character around and you could interact on the map. And of course, some of them give you choice about which way you go. And you could like, I want to do this level or I want to skip yeah. that level. Or you could complete both. In addition to that, they had the mushroom houses, the spade cards, 
the Hammer Brothers roaming around in other interactive spaces, like in World 8, which we're going to talk about. We're going to get into that world. Eight. Hard. Lots of cool new items. You had warp whistles, music boxes, hammers, clouds, anchors. You had an inventory that you could store and access to mm-hmm. use these mm-hmm. items. And then you had the different power-ups. The new one is the Super Leaf, and you could fly. Because, yeah, of course, right. we all know raccoons have the gift of flight. Just like in nature. Just like in nature. <laughs> they said, what flies? And they said, of course, raccoons. They're like, birds, get out of here. Bats, shut up. Butterflies, no. Raccoons, give yeah. this man a promotion. <laughs> Did you ever see the, the John Mulaney stand-up where he's talking about Mick Jagger shooting down all his jokes? No. He's like, no, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were they like on going to be on SNL or something? No, together? Like, funny. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mick Jagger was going to be on there. They were going to no, do some parody. Funny. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So that was that. No, no, raccoon. Yeah, yeah, raccoon. And then I feel like everyone, the fan favorite, the Tanuki suit, right? Which is almost identical to the raccoon, but of course you could turn invincible into a right. statue, as again happens in nature. Which I'm just going to throw out there. I never discovered in the game. Until after I looked it up after oh, I'd beaten it this week. You never got to the Tanuki? No, oh. I got the Tanuki, but I didn't know the statue feature. Uh, I guess. Okay, good point. Which I'm assuming makes you invincible for a couple seconds? It does. That's pretty sweet. It does, yeah. That would have been helpful a bunch. Then you get the Hammer Brothers. So of course, you could throw the hammers, which is a little unwieldy. But also, if you crouched, you were fireproof. What? Yeah. See, you're learning things. Oh, my God. And then they had the frog suit, which was amazing at swimming, getting around all those underwater monsters. Uh, but of course, it's terrible on land. And then there's the power wings where it's the cheat. You just fly over the whole level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are a lot of the features they built into it. Again, all of this is almost brand new stuff. Really pack it in there. However, there were some early ideas that got left on the cutting room floor. Oh, interesting. Okay. So at first, they dabbled with an isometric view. Oh, interesting. Well, what they found out is that people couldn't judge the distance very well. And so like jumping over and around things became really problematic. So they scrapped it and it went back to the side scroll. Well, we fortunately all know that in the side scroll, it's very easy to judge the jumps on a lot of those. I mean, it's really not a problem. I never whatsoever. died once replaying this game. No, Let me just like tell everyone you that jumps much. and just nails where they were hitting every Nailed time. Nailed it. Stick to the landing. <laughs> so originally, the flying ability was unlimited. And then they what? found out, well, this doesn't work because people just fly you across the, the whole, whole level. Game. You skip the whole level. So they wow. limited it, right? You had to get your running start, and then you have limited flight. And then also, they still kept in the. With the power wings, you can still fly through a whole level. It's just, it only lasts for one level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you finally get to that same level for the 30th time, which may or may not have happened to me, <laughs> you might just be like, I really wish I had power wings right now. Yeah, yeah, And I'm going to tell you what monster level it was, because World 8 is the worst. <laughs> World 8. Another thing, Mario rides a dinosaur, uh, but couldn't get it to work. Just wasn't able to make a habit. Yet. Didn't have to wait too long, because Super Mario World, for the Super Nintendo, Yoshi. Yoshi! Yoshi! And last, this is the best. Mario could turn into a centaur. That was an idea. I mean, I really feel like they missed out on the best opportunity to have Mario the centaur. Centario? Cent- yeah. Centaur. Uh, Centuigi. Although, the, if you have the centaur, it removes all need for Yoshi. He's riding himself, so why should Yoshi exist? Imagine a centaur riding a dinosaur. It's too many legs to animate. That's like centipede. Not the movie, but just like a centipede. The Mario <laughs> centipede? <laughs> It's a little contemporary culture, but there was a meme that came out. It's Mario riding Yoshi, and Yoshi's, like, singing a theme song about friendship and, like, how great they are together, and they're the best, and, like, Mario's my favorite, and it's to the theme song of Mario. Yeah. 
But I guess there's a move in Super Mario World you would do, like, again, to finish the level, to hit that moving bar to get the, the highest points. Mm-hmm. You would jump with Yoshi and then jump off Yoshi to hit the bar. Oh, wow. And so they're doing that, and then, like, that moment happens, and Yoshi's falling down a pit, dying, and Mario, like, flips over, and Yoshi realizes Mario didn't care about Yoshi at all the whole time. He thought they were friends. Right. And he was just being used. Totally misunderstood the relationship for Yoshi. That's rough. Don't do that to your dinosaur friends, people. Value your dinosaur friends. Yeah. All right, so that was some of the cutting room floor stuff. So this game, again, people are like, we wanted out yesterday. It releases for home consoles in Japan. October 1988. Nice. And the world rejoices. Not really. Japan rejoices. Everyone else, tough stuff. Clueless. Truly clueless. You didn't know. You didn't know any of this stuff was around unless you knew someone in Japan or you had a Famicom somehow in your American household. That's what makes it so much sweeter is like, what is this forbidden fruit from afar for me as this American child to get this game? First off, 1988, there's a ROM chip shortage, which creates delays in this game coming out. So they didn't plan to wait this long to release in the United States. So that just halted everything. Is it because the Atari Lynx had them all? They were selling like hotcakes as Atari Lynxes. Right, and so all the ROM chips were gone. They got first pick. Yeah, (laughs) for sure, for sure. So there's all these teases in like Nintendo Power Magazine about, ooh, maybe it's coming out. And then kids would write to the editor and they're like, we don't have any plans to release the game at this time. Very mixed messages. These are children. Don't be so mean to these poor kids. Right. Oh, Uh, Then there's a tease about them uh, releasing it on this arcade cabinet called Player Choice 10. And it would have games on it. And you would put money in to give you time and you could play these uh, games. And Mario 3 was going to be on this cabinet. Again, teased in Nintendo Power. And like a proper like game, like where you would go and play arcade games, like yeah. a proper arcade? Yeah, okay. for sure. Okay. And then, of course, what is the biggest way in which they tease this game? Did the movie come out before the game was available? Oh, it sure did. What? Um, yeah. So this incredible movie, which we are 100% doing on this podcast at uh, some point. Wrong. Try 1,000%. 1,000%. The Wizard. The Wizard. Starring Fred Savage. He's gearing up to play in a Super Mario Brothers tournament, well, his, right? His little brother is. His little brother. But they also, in that, they reveal a sweet piece of hardware in that movie, too. Yeah, we can't get too far down this road because I'm going to want to keep talking about right, it. Right, 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 right. Lucas it's, and the Power Glove. And oh. the Power Glove. Oh, my God. It's so rad. Anyway. Uh, we'll come woo, back to it. Yeah. <laughs> they are going to this big game thing, and at the very end... The guy's Super Mario, which I have issues with. Brothers 3! Mario! It's basically a commercial for Super Mario Brothers 3. Thanks, Fred Savage. We bought it. Yeah, so that's 1989. That movie comes out. And, you know, it's, it's pretty well panned by critics. You know, Roger Ebert did not have kind words for this movie. I don't think this movie was made to try and please Siskel and Ebert. So another big part of it was Nintendo Powerline, which I never called, but there was a hotline you could call and I get really tips. I really want to talk. Yeah, yeah, I want to get into that. Okay. Into yeah, that. you could call and get tips. And that was another big way that they were helping to kind of promote this game. When it finally does come out, Nintendo Power releases its first full strategy guide, which I'm just going to take a little note when they call these things strategy guides. Is it really a strategy guide or is it a cheat sheet? Is it basically an answer book? I have both the po- the support line and the strategy guide in my notes for chemistry, because that's like a whole different gaming culture that I really want to talk about. Well, we are almost done in history, so let's not delay. Yeah. Finally, North America gets in its hot little hands on February 12th, 1990, Super Mario Brothers 3. Hey! 
It was basically a two-year delay between when it released in Japan and when it came out in North America. Wow. And I think we need to run to chemistry class to talk about what that experience was like then and maybe more recently, Ben. What do you say? And more recently. I love it. That was a great history overview. Let's get on our dinosaurs. Let's grow some centaur legs. (laughs) And let's clip-clop over to chemistry class. What do you say? Let's go, Yoshi. Malam. Do you remember in Super Mario World, when you got on Yoshi, there was like a little drum, like be, the music became more percussive when you were writing Yoshi than oh, when you yeah, weren't? yeah, 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 yeah. I would love to play Super Mario World again. That's a fun game. It's great. Oh, yeah. Really good I, art. I almost fired it up, but I had to devote all of my playtime Seriously. Oh, to this game because spoilers, everyone, Ben and I made a concerted effort to play through this entire game. Yeah. And so, Ben, my first question I do want to ask you, because we're going to refer to this. So just to get this out in the open, how did you replay this game? So I had experienced this game very little as a child because I didn't have a Nintendo. So I was like, I need to play through this for the show. And I want to watch someone else play when I can play. So I have, a, you know, I have a, um, an emulator, which is a joystick and, and two buttons. Well, this is on the mini arcade you played it. Right, but I'm just throwing out there that I played all of Super Mario Bros. with a joystick and two, like, but not a controller. Yes. You remember there was like an NES controller that was like a brick house. It was like two feet across or something. It felt like two feet across. It had a joystick and big buttons on it. Oh, yeah. I had that. Okay, so it felt like that. Yeah. Um, But yes, if you're playing, as if you have an emulator, if you know any game, you can pause and save it at any point infinitely. Yes. Which, yes, did give me a bit of an unfair advantage. I could save right before the hard part in a level. Yeah. And then save it immediately after I crossed that hard part. Right. So it did very much change the traditional dynamic of Super Mario Brothers 3. But I got stuff to do. We had a limited amount of time. We got two weeks. I only had so much time. I had to get through. I know I gave you grief. I did not ask that question to give you grief. I asked uh, it for a very specific reason because mm-hmm. I played this game on Super Nintendo because I don't oh. have the original Nintendo system. Oh. And this game was re-released in a game set called Super Mario Brothers All-Stars. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I played it on that where I have a save feature. Now, it's not as robust as your save feature, which is save whenever you darn well please. But at least I could save the game and come back to it. It wasn't the old days where you had to keep it plugged in and put like a nasty note, do not turn off, you know, on it. So no one, your brother didn't accidentally come in and turn it off or unplug it or something. Right. Again, like not owning an NES, I wanted to ask you like how that game functioned like that. Like you couldn't save it and turn it off, right? You had to beat it in one sitting. There was no save whatsoever. Had to be in one sitting. And that's actually one of the reasons they introduced the warp whistle, because it was a way for you to shortcut and get to the later levels without having to completely replay the game. But your inventory, you would have to rebuild from scratch. What? Yeah. I mean, that is really challenging. That's really hard. But what most kids would do is you'd play the game and you just leave the Nintendo plugged in and on and... You'd write a nasty note on it and tape it on there, like, don't turn this off, sister, you know, whatever. Your parents are like, why do we have a 9,000 electric bill? <laughs> this is right. This month. <laughs> never turn the TV or the Nintendo off for four weeks. Oh, my gosh. Yes, for sure. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay, so I wanted to get that current state. Let's zip back. You said you did not have tons of memories playing this game, but what are the memories that you do have? Right. This was hard. I mean, and I'm very excited about the topic. Like sometimes there's a ghost topic and you're like, I don't know anything and I'm just here to learn. But like, this is a, this is a great topic because I recognize the importance this game has in like the development of games going forward. And my memories of it are, so it's a game I only played at friends' houses at sleepovers. And I feel like Super Mario Brothers 3 
was a game I never saw a Nintendo without Super Mario Brothers 3 nearby. <laughs> right. Everybody had that game. Yeah. The box art is so iconic. You know, it's the bright yellow Super Mario Bros. 3 in the blue text and then Mario flying in the Tanuki suit. Yeah. Is it a Tanuki suit or he just This has is the raccoon. The raccoon, right. So very iconic box art. And so all I can remember where I played it for sure, there was this thing in elementary school. So I was a little bit older, out of the 80s. But I remember um, we called it AT, which was short for extended time. And so when the day was over of school, but like your parents were still working... You could go here, and it was almost like there were like activities and stuff. You could go play outside at, on the uh, playground at the school. You could read books. There was arts and crafts, and there was like a video game system. It was a Nintendo, and you could play that. I'm sorry. Read a book? Loser. Loser. I'm going to go slap on a Tanuki <laughs> suit and fly around for a bit. Nerds. And you, know, you did have to like sign up, and there was like, you know, like sure. time slots. Like you get it for like 15 minutes, then you got to get off. Right, right. And then I remember my friend Peter, I think it belonged to his older brother, they had a Nintendo in the basement, and I would sleep over at Peter's house a lot. That and, like, one of the original Ninja Turtles games that mm. were so insanely hard. Yes. That's literally all I could pull out of the musty, dusty, cobwebby file cabinet of Super Mario Brothers 3 memories that I authentically have. Okay. All right. But this seemed like something that was pretty impactful for you growing up. Yeah, I mean, this game was pardon the pun, a game changer because it did introduce so many iconic things and it was such a massive world. And we're going to talk about this. So many secrets, so many hidden elements, so many hidden things that I only recently learned having known this game since it came out. It's fun. Some of them are meaningful. Some of them are just little like nods and we'll talk about some of those, but it's great. So I really tried to find out when I got this game. I swore it was a Christmas game, but if it came out in February, I seriously doubt I waited nearly a year for this game to come out. And I asked my brother, I was like, do you remember when we got it? He couldn't remember either. It had to have been one of our birthdays because he's in April, I'm a May. So it would have had to have been one of our birthdays that we got this game. Yeah. I just remember playing it all the time. I remember one marathon session. I went over to my friend Corey's house and we played like an entire Saturday and he just watched me play the game. And we would like talk and laugh and, you know, all that kind of Wait, stuff. Wait, you wouldn't switch back and forth? He just watched you he play? He just watched me play. Like this wow. is one of my earlier memories of someone just having a lot of fun watching games. Yeah. There's an entire industry of it now of Let's Plays, oh right? Like that's <laughs> Twitch a, and that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, it's a thing now. But it's like back then, the concept was kind of weird. Like why wouldn't you just play? But there's some fun in actually just watching it. Yeah, and either cheering on or gigging your friend. Being like, you suck. Oh, totally. Absolutely. You're terrible. Why would you do that? Yeah. Or beating a hard level and you throw down the controller, you both jump up and you're like celebrating, high-fiving, like, we can't believe we did it. Oh my God. Like that in-person experience. I, I think I texted Ben this. I was like, I now remember why I had such a bad temper as a kid because I wanted to throw my controller as a 41-year-old several times. Do any of your controllers have teeth marks on the top? I will say... Despite the throwing and screaming and pillow punching, there are no teeth marks on my Super Nintendo or my Nintendo or any of my cartridges. I'm very proud of you. That's good. Your teeth are perfectly aligned (laughs) and straight. That's good. I I did not ruin my teeth on game cartridges. I ruined my teeth on all of that candy you heard about several episodes ago. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. So much candy. So that, I mean, those are my main memories. It was just, I remember just a game that blew everyone away with how expansive it was and how cool. And again, it's 12 times the size, like the the memory size of the original game because there's just so much stuff in it. 
Yeah. It's yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. So we've got some memories. Do you want to do our, our listener memories now? Because we got some great ones. Yeah, we got some great feedback on this topic. So let's let's see what the class of 80s high had to say. I would say this is the highest number of and the longest responses we've gotten to. Like, what memories do you have of this topic? Like, yeah. people went in. Ben and I, we ask these questions. We put these quizzes out. They're a lot of fun, by the way. If you haven't taken them, you should join. They're, you should join the great. class of 80s high. They're super easy. It's like, this is a quiz you want to take. And we never know what we're going to get. And sometimes, you know, we wish we had more responses. This one, I opened it. I was like, holy smokes. We right? had responses. And what did, uh, what did the classmates say? Just like you said, one person, they, they recall, like, I once left my Nintendo running for a couple of days to go mm-hmm. through every single board in this game. This is one of the best ever published for the Nintendo Entertainment System. I'm telling you, man, that was what you had to do. You didn't want to restart that thing. You built up all of these lives. You built up this whole inventory library. You didn't want to right. give that up. And again, such like a different time in gaming where like the game was long enough that you couldn't just crank it out in a normal sitting. So, right. But you had to leave the system on yeah so that you didn't lose your spot that's like just a totally foreign game concept today so another listener said i spent the night at my friend michael's house one night his nintendo was on top of the stairs in the hallway between his and his sister's room i feel like this is just a a setup for disaster oh yeah and at some point during the evening i wasn't paying attention and i fell down the stairs i was okay just knocked the wind out of me after a consolatory toaster waffle (laughs) (laughs) we headed back to it and beat the game I think it's the only Super Mario Brothers game I ever beat, aside from the first one. Oh, nice. That sweet, sweet victory after the waffle. You know, the setup of this, I swore it was going to be, I tripped on the cord. I yanked it out of the power socket. Like, the power cord came out, and they lost all their progress. Oh That's what God. I was afraid They're that, like, that memory was going to be. And then it unplugged. Right, like, okay, we're just at Bowser's Castle. Let's go get some toaster waffles. Right. Oh right. my goodness. My friend unplugged it and they have yet to find his body. Like I thought that's where it was gonna end. <laughs> Strangely the next day, he was not he was missing. <laughs> um I think this comes from listener Justin, is my guess, because I kinda I kinda recognize some stuff here. This is probably my favorite game of all time. My main memory is searching for it everywhere. Pre-internet, you couldn't order it. No. Driving home from the beach at the end of vacation, my mom agreed to stop at Toys R Us, and oh my gosh, they had a copy. <sighs> but of course, like we've talked about road tripping with Game Boy, he's in the car and he can't play it. Yeah. Uh, so he says, I read the manual on the drive home and mm. looked through the booklet over and over, mm. imagining mm. all the possibilities. Yep. I like his little second memory here. I first played this game on an old TV where the color, unbeknownst to me, was a little off. That meant that I couldn't see the doors inside the castles. Oh, my God. So after all that waiting to play, the first time I played, I could only make it about four (laughs) levels. And I was stuck. And then he finally talked to a cousin who explained, like, where the doorways are supposed to be. And then he could play it. The game, the castles are hard enough. Can you imagine not knowing where you're supposed to go at all? With the doors. And some of them are mazes, and the doors are not intuitive where they are. Oh, that drove me nuts, those doors. Or there's doors. multiple doors. There's one I can remember where there's, like, all these doors, and some of them you drop into water, and oh, it's I terrible. I hated that level. That level was really hard. It's See, it's so awful, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. The worst. I just want to say really quick, I remember going and getting games at Toys R Us, and back in that day, you would find the game on this thing on the wall, and you'd pull off a sheet of paper, and then you had to take it up to a separate counter where somebody would get it from, like, behind the case. Whoa, that's cool. I like that you have the little, like, order form. Like, you didn't just go grab it off the shelf like it was a cassette tape or something like that. Right. And then lastly, I loved how innovative this game was. It really kept me interested for many hours. My stepdad used to think that this game was about shining bricks. Shining bricks. How how does that... Do you see that? 
Can you see how someone could think? You're okay. So your okay, stepdad well, just walking through. Full disclosure, I know exactly who this person is and exactly who the stepdad is who thought it was Shining Bricks. Can you explain like how you're the stepdad, you're walking by, you glance at the screen, oh, remember the screen, you walk by more. How do you get in your head it's about Shining Bricks? Here's my guess. The first game, I believe the box art, is Mario jumping up at a brick. With a squeegee and a jar of Ajax. It makes absolutely no sense, but he believed that too. He was dead set. That's what the game was about. I mean, Mario was a blue collar worker. He was a plumber. He's a plumber. But not a brick shiner. <laughs> so he was in the right realm. He just wasn't, from... So he wasn't uh, in masonry. He was in plumbing. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. But I've never seen the guy plumb. I've never seen him no, snake no, a drain or fix no. a toilet line. So I'm just saying. <laughs> Can you imagine like a bonus level in Super Mario Bros. is snake and drains? Just a plunger trying to like unclog a sink. He's down there, a little Mario butt crack coming out of the, the overalls, like just working on it. Fixing someone's dishwasher. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Putting a second bathroom on the house. Like, dookie dookie panic or whatever it is. Do- dokey dokey. Dokey dookie dookie. Dookie dookie. Because we're talking about plumbing. Come on. Hey, this guy i have this heading this like general concept i want to get into is like about leveling up and progression like how you're getting stronger and moving forward which again i think is like really different from games today which i think is really interesting you mentioned the warp whistle yeah you can skip entire worlds and it was interesting there was muscle memory i didn't even look this up this was nuts i'm playing world one level one and there's a white rectangle Yep. And I jump on it and I squatted down and I dipped behind it and I ran the rest of the level and then I got to the warp pipes. Dun, dun, dun. I just remembered that. Yeah. From yeah. decades ago. It was always those white blocks. Those are the ones that you could drop behind. Getting all these items, there were several ways. So like on the map before you go into a level, you could run into the hammer bros. Yep. And then there was the uh, the spade card that would slide back and forth. That was like, uh, is that where you're trying to ma- the memory card? Yeah, there are certain conditions that would bring up that one, and it's just a memory game. So when yeah. once you meet certain conditions, I can't remember what they are, then those would appear on the map. Okay. And it looked like the other spade one, but it had an N on the yeah. spade, which was kind of, it was Nintendo. Yeah. And then you could do the matching game, and everything you matched up, you got coins, power Yeah, it's like a, just a classic flip card lives. game of like trying to remember like two mushrooms. Okay, then you get yep. the mushroom, whatever. But then I want to talk about the mushroom hut. So the mushroom yeah. hut, uh, what's that guy's name? Who's in there waiting for you? Toad? Toad. Toad's in there. And one mushroom hut is like, hey, here are three treasure boxes. Pick whatever you want. Who knows what it'll be. Yeah. But then there was the one that was like, it was like Vegas. And you're trying to line up three parts of an image and you get that power up if you could do it. Well, that's the spade card. The normal that's, spade Oh, card. that's the spade card. Okay. Yeah. Of all these mini games, like how was your skill level at these? Awful. I tried real hard for the first like four or five. And then whenever I hit it in the future, I just hit the buttons real fast. Just like, just just get through this. Just get through this. The other one I will say is there is a particular, and I can't articulate how, but I know there's a particular way if you run in a certain angle, you jump at the box at the end of every level, you can get a star every time. And I couldn't tell you what that angle is. It's just sort of an intuition of playing the game. You know, if you hit it at the right time, you can get a star. And I was moderately good at that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I got I got several times I got, I think two or three times I was able to get three stars total for the five up lives, which you feel incredible when you get oh, five it's amazing. lives. It feels even better when those actually matter, Ben. I'm just going to say. Right. The, the screenshot I sent you when I was in World like 37 eight. lives. I was <laughs> like, least. what? At least. What? <laughs> yeah, wait, hold on. I had the picture here that I sent you. Yeah, by the end, like when I'm at Bowser, I have 53 lives. 53 lives. Which I'm assuming is not normal. I mean, you could gain that many if you were really good and didn't die. Yeah. You could do it legit. 
I find it really fascinating of like as you this idea of like leveling up in progression in the game. Like as you move on, the levels get more complex mm-hmm. and the physics change a little bit. Like there's the ice that you slide on. Water. Water you gotta move oh, through. Terrible. But like all enemies take one hit with like a fireball or jumping on them, whatever you can do. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting when you think of like modern games where like as you progress, enemies get harder. They're like bullet sponges or they take lots of hits from a sword. You know, in an RPG, you've got your whole skill tree you've got to work on to get strong enough. Right. And this was just like, you get one-off items that you can burn temporarily. You get it as long until you get hit. And the enemies are generally equally the same. They just behave differently. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. No, that's an interesting point. I mean, the only exceptions are Boom Boom and the Koopalings, right? Those all take three hits. Can you talk to me about Boom Boom? Boom Boom is the little guy that's at the end of every small castle. Oh, I guess it is the same character. He flies at some point, though. He starts to be able to fly. He has spikes on his back. He runs and w- like wiggles Boom his arms. Boom he almost looks like guy. one of the um, air inflatable guys. Like his arms kind of like back and forth. And then he can fly sometimes. So that's Boom Right. So like the, bo- the mini bosses take three jumps. But to your point... They always take three. It's not like later on, you know, like Ludwig von Koopa, you have to hit five times. And one of them was Ludwig. Wait, can you off the top of your head remember all the little Koopa's names? That was impressive last time when you revealed it. Uh, I had it written down, so I'll Lenny. <laughs> be honest. I remember one was Lenny. No, it's Lemmy, I think. Oh, Lemmy. And there's Damn a Larry, Wendy O. Do you think Lemmy, isn't that like a pretty famous rock star? And the Japanese version, the Koopalines, they were designed after the designers of the game. So they were kind of modeled after some of the designers. And when it came to the U.S. and they had to name them, they gave them names of musicians. So Ludwig Beethoven, Roy, I think was, is that Roy Orbison maybe? Anyway, so they're all named after famous musicians. That's fun. That's kind of cool to know. I like that. And, you know, there's some dispute on if the Koopalines are the children of Bowser or just minions. Story-wise, it's gone both ways, but I guess the true canon is that they're not, they're just minions. They're not actually his children. I was going to say, because do we ever meet a Mrs. Bowser? No. Yeah, so where are these kids coming from? Uh, we'll, we'll tell you about the uh, the birds and the Koopas one of these days. <laughs> so, when two spiky turtles love each other very much, <laughs> you get these one-off power-ups that you burn and they're gone. We've talked a little bit about some of them. Like, are there ones that you have strong emotions and memories and feelings about? I mean, like I said, the power wings, when you're just totally fed up with a level and you're like, to heck with this, I'm getting through this thing. It's a cheat. Yeah. I'm doing it. I mean, the cloud, the music box, all similar. It allows you to skirt something. The cloud lets you skip a level, but doesn't yeah. beat it. And then the music box puts the Hammer Brothers to sleep. So if you're tired oh. of them, you can just be like, go away, be gone. You just sprinkle ambient across the map and they just go, they just take a nap. Now, one of the rare ones you can find is an anchor. And if you have that... When you go to defeat one of the Koopalines, if you lose, their ship goes flying all over that map. Right. I saw that fly away many times. And it probably didn't bother you as much. But when (laughs) you play later games, you know, they have the uh, shortcuts. So if you have to replay the level, you don't have to replay everything. But that ship almost always goes somewhere that you can't reach it. And then you have to go re-beat some level just to get to the ship to fight them again. It's a pain in the butt. So the anchor doesn't allow it to move. From my one percenter gamer throne, I never got to experience this tragedy. But when you lose all your lives and you continue, yeah. I'm assuming it wipes your progress in that world that you're Correct. on. And you have to start over. It wipes your progress with the exception of if you've unlocked any doors, removed any barricades, those warp pipes, 
Yeah. You know, you don't have to re okay. access those, but all the levels do reset. But how many continues do you get? Unlimited. Oh, okay. And you keep your inventory, at least on the Super Nintendo version. Oh, I think you still keep blessing. your inventory. Of all the power-ups, there was one I was holding on to for a long time, and I was almost near the end of the game, and I was like, I need to use this to see what it does. And I put on the Hammer Brothers suit. Yes. And I think I text you. The only thing that went through my mind when I started that level is I felt like a god. First of all, he looks so different in his little, like, black rugby player suit. Yeah. And then, like, to just chuck these hammers like crazy, kind of like the fireball, but a different arc so you can hit things without having to jump at a weird angle. Right. I felt more indestructible than I felt like when I got a star. I, the Hammer Bro suit was my jam. I thought that was such a cool suit. See, that one always made me nervous because there weren't a lot of them in the game. And it was so easy just to lose it. Like that one is the one I always wanted, but never wanted to actually use, if that makes sense. It's sort of like any like game where you're collecting inventory now, where you're like, you save up health potions and then yeah. you beat the boss of the game and you have 39 health potions in your inventory. You're like, what was I saving this for? What was I doing? Uh, so we asked the class of 80s high what their favorite power up was in the whole game. Yeah. And it pretty resoundingly came back that it was the Tanuki suit. That's what it was all about. Nobody thought the mushroom was cool. The only, the most basic I mean, power yeah. up you can get, which yeah. I get. It's like iceberg lettuce. Like, no one's like, oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> What's your favorite part of the salad? The lettuce. No one says that. Uh, but iceberg. You know, we have dedicated fans. And as you've learned on the show, if you make a passionate request, we will heed that request. Hmm. And somebody begged in their Q&A for us to, I'm going to go back to history class, touch on the tanuki. So you can dance around this editing however you want, but I'm going to do my best to explain Tanuki because everything else you've explained in Super Mario Bros. is pretty beautiful and innocent and very logical, like a flying raccoon. So Tanuki is a is a raccoon in Japanese folklore. Its earliest appearance is in 720. Tanukis are a real thing, by the way. What? Tanukis are a thing. It's a raccoon dog. Okay, well, this says it's in folklore. It's both a real animal and there's also folklore around it. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with, I'm going to start with the folklore. Sure. So the folklore, I can't, what? It's really, does it fly? No, of course not. It looks like a little, it's like, it looks like a cross between a raccoon and a, apparently it's genetically similar to a fox. Oh, well, that's kind of cool. More so than a raccoon, but it looks like a raccoon. Japanese folklore, 720. It's yeah. written, the Nihon Shokai, the Chronicles of Japan. And there's a chapter about Empress, I'm going to say uh, Suiko, mentions the Tanuki. And so the Tanuki is a rascal, as we see in lots of mythology from around the world. He's a rascal shapeshifter that evil, usually... Evil little shapeshifter. Yeah, exactly. Very, like, um, manipulative, but it always, like, sort of teaches a lesson about, like, human hubris or greed. But did you come across how they shapeshift by any means? Well, you put a leaf on your forehead. <laughs> I wish that was... I That's wish true. that was the... So That's part of the folklore. They put a leaf on their forehead. To the history thing that I found, Danuki are famous for having immensely large testicles. And they can manipulate this blessing into different tools or disguises. Uh, and this, this one thing gave the example of makeshift raincoats, weapons, and drums. All right. And so if you search Japanese mythology plus Tanuki, there's little statues of these guys all over Japan still. And they are anatomically too folklorish. I did not see the leaf on any of these pictures, but the other part, very widely exaggerated in these statues and artwork. 
Well, I'll say this much. If you look at the Tanuki within the realm of Mario Brothers, yeah. it's a little tamer version of it. But they, they put a leaf on their forehead to change forms. All right. That's all I want to say about power-ups and suits. I mean, the funny thing is that the Tanuki is very known in Japan, but nowhere else. And Miyamoto decided he was going to put it in the game because he liked it. And he didn't care if other audiences didn't fully understand all the references. No, it's cute. It's a great addition. So I wanted to know real quick, since this is chemistry, what did you really like about this game i really to like a weird um like beautiful mind sort of level really enjoyed the timing aspect of the game and for me i felt that puzzle was pretty clear to hack you gotta time this you gotta jump to this thing and then jump to that thing and then like wait for this thing and then jump to that thing like i felt like i saw the numbers floating through the air on that and granted again I was kind of cheating because I could save right before a difficult spot and play it a few times over until I got past it. You weren't kind of cheating. You were full on cheating. I was full on cheating. So I'm sure like if I was dying fully and wiping my progress, I would have had a less enjoyable time. I can confirm that. Yeah. From my own experience. (laughs) Yeah. But like I saw the patterns and I enjoyed that. And especially, Mm -hmm. and I will admit I, I didn't die that much. I found the airships actually really enjoyable. Mm. That like I saw the timing of like waiting for missiles and jumping on missiles and like I couldn't be those insane speed runs where you see people jump from missile to missile and never touch the ground the entire yeah. that's bananas. And I just also loved as someone who both loves to fly and to sail, I love trying to think in my head the audacity of this ship design of like mm. what is ha- we're shooting into the deck, who's manning this thing? What is it powered by? Like it's not even fully nuts. connected. Right, yeah, <laughs> just there's like gaps floating. in it. Totally. Like it it was just ridiculous to me. So there was a ridiculous to it. There was an art. There was a. It was cute. It was like positive and happy, mostly until you got to frustrating parts. Yeah. Like it was a generally very enjoyable gaming experience. It's awesome. I feel like if I turn it to you, your pause is going to be real short, but then the second half is going to be real long. So. <laughs> no, I think the positive is that the music draws you in. The the art style. Now, granted, I'm playing with slightly better music and better art because this was a re-release yeah. on the Super Nintendo and they actually beefed up those elements of the game. So it looks nicer. What I enjoyed most is probably the memories and the nostalgia of it, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I yeah. had a very frustrating go at this game. We're going to get to that here very shortly. Good. Um, but there are some certain things that I love, which I think might come into our next bit, which is I love World 4. I was so much looking forward to that. That's the giant world where everything is big. The enemies are big. The blocks are big. It's great. It's like, honey, I shrunk the kids. You just feel like you're in this massive world. Love that one. I was really excited for the Goomba's shoe, sometimes called Kuribo's shoe, the little oh, green yeah, yeah, shoe yeah, yeah, that yeah, you yeah. can hop around in. I never got in one. I saw the level. I saw them. I killed those guys. I never figured out how to get in the shoe. You have to hit them from underneath and it knocks them out of the shoe, but doesn't but you keep the shoe but the shoe stays and then you can jump on it there's so many wonderful discoveries i never had and i get to play it again it's a whole new game the sad part is you can't carry that to a new level it just takes you through that level and there's only a couple where that shoe shows up but it's fun and i love the tanuki suit that's also my favorite right of course the running the flying you know uh in japan this is called an athletics game is that like what we say side scroller they call it athletics or maybe like platformer yeah like a platformer Platformer, okay because it's you know running jumping flying so it's a kind of an athletic i was like yeah that makes sense i hadn't heard that terminology before but at least at that time in japan that's kind of how it was referred to yeah overall it was a fun experience but i had some big old frustrations 
do we need to get those out here? Is this sort of like a Super Mario uh, therapy session we're going to go through right well, now? Well, do we quickly want to talk about what some of our listeners oh, yeah, loved please. about it? So we asked our listeners, like, what were your favorite worlds? Because that was, again, I what I appreciate is the variety that each world brings. And Ben had kind of talked about that earlier, right? When you finally get through a world, you go to the next one and it kind of, it's a new twist. It's a new element to it, which is great. So we said, hey, what were your favorite worlds? And people really liked world one, the grasslands. I don't know why. Did some people just not get farther in the game? That's my guess. I think like a lot of people like me just played it briefly at a friend's house for a sleepover at something yeah. and like that's what you knew was Grassland. Well, and you probably played that level the most. Exactly. The other thing I was thinking is it could be the primacy effect where you kind of remember things that come first. Oh. Uh, so it could be that. Yeah. Also big showing for Giantland World 4 and Skyland World 5. Again, probably two of my favorites as well. And a little bit of love for Desert. The rest is kind of like eh, here or there. Yeah. Shockingly, I'm surprised anyone loved Iceland. That one drove me nuts. Not Iceland. If we, if we have Icelandic listeners. Yeah, well, calm down there. We love Iceland. Iceland air. Please invite me to Iceland. I want to go there so badly. This is Iceland. Ice space land. Yes. Just in the market. We love Iceland. We hate Iceland. <laughs> yes. Very good. Good save. That's close. Okay. All right. So... We will keep all of these listeners because I generally concurred with their responses. None of them will be... <laughs> Great. Right. You're not calling anyone out for being an idiot. I'm not going to expel anyone from the class of 80s high. This is good. good. Thank God. So it's, you said you had sort of a rough contemporary playthrough. Okay. So I think... Do you want to this, talk about it? I do. I think what this game reminded me is that platformers are not my game. Could you point on this Mario doll where the Bowser hurts you? Do you see the open gaps which you can fall into and die? Yeah. Do you see the little trash bag creatures, the wrench moles? Oh, yeah. Those guys on the airship. Nasty little wrench weasels. Oh, the worst. Yeah. Big Bertha, that giant fish that would jump up and eat you. And oh. if you're underwater, it would shoot a baby fish. I hated that day. The first thing that happened when I played that and the, when the fish ate me, my jaw dropped. I yeah. did because I, I had never even had the concept of being eaten in the game. Yeah. I was shocked and angry. Yeah, so Big Bertha, big jerk, but the worst, absolute worst, are those freaking wrench weasels. And specifically in World 8, on the airship that goes like 500 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. There's a level that goes so fast. I died on that level so many times. I will not lie, I did not beat this game. As far as enemies go, in the desert, that sun that would like swirl and then dive at you and follow you the whole level. No one likes the sun. That drove me nuts. And then the very similar, I think his name is Lakitu. 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 He's a jerk. I knew him from super, from Mario Kart because he right. like holds the, the stoplight to let you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just dropping turtles on you the whole time. Nothing killed me more in my playthrough of Super Mario Brothers 3 than Lakitu. His programming for where to throw those spiky little turtles. Insane. Was nasty. Very impressive. Very impressive. Impressively nasty. And you didn't finish it. Do you want to tell us where you left off? Well, so two things happened. One is I was on World 7, Pipeland, and I moved my Super Nintendo closer to the couch and the screen went hazy. <gasps> oh, no. I could still hear it, though. I was like, oh, shoot. I figured like the, um, the AV connector just kind of came a little dislodged. So I pushed it back in thinking it would correct the screen. It didn't. So I was like, okay, I unplugged it, plugged it back in, still no screen. And I was like, well, I've it's saved. I was like, I'll just restart the game and pick up the save. Well, if you leave that game apparently and don't hit save and quit, it erases your save. No. 
So all of my progress up to World 7 erased. No! Thankfully, on All Stars, you get four save slots for each game. And there was a different save slot from who knows when that was on World 8. But I barely had any inventory. So I had like no power wings and all this other stuff. So I tried in earnest to just get through World 8. I want to beat the game again. I don't remember how the fight with Bowser goes. Didn't happen. Didn't get to it. No. Yeah. Kind of a bummer. But I could not get past that airship. And I just finally quit. I was like, I can't play this game anymore. I have other stuff to do. Which I think is a completely acceptable decision to make as an adult. I was like one or two jumps away from the very end so many times on that ship. It really frustrated me. I think I text this to you of like the idea how I told myself that I could save state as an adult is like, we don't have three months of summer break with nothing else to do. Like, right. and as a kid, you did, you had so much time to play games like this. Yeah. Come on, man. I've tried 42 times. I don't want to jump and die again. This is nuts. And that's what it really comes back to is I realize platformers are not my game. There are people who love this stuff. They play Super Meat Boy. They play Spelunky. They love this stuff. Or the people who, again, make those like sadist Super Mario Maker levels and they just love doing that. The whole timing and the dodging, everything. I do not get much enjoyment from that. I don't For find sure. that very fun. So at the end of all this, I found Bowser incredibly easy. Yeah. It's like he jumps at you. You just have to get out of the way before he drops. And he eventually just bashes himself into a lava pit below you. It wasn't hard. I didn't have to use save state on it. But you beat Bowser and you go in. And do you know what Princess Peach says to you once you save her? The final words of the game? Hmm. I don't. I took a screenshot. She goes, thank you. But our princess is in another castle. Dot, dot, dot. Just kidding. Ha, ha, ha. Bye, bye. And that's the end of the game. Wow. After Mario, the clones of Mario have died 160 times. Luigi's dead. He's not even in the room. You've killed thousands of Goombas. Peach got jokes. Peach got jokes. She thinks it's funny. And then she's like, he thinks bye. Bye. Oh, my gosh. Not even like an authentic thank you. Thank you. But our princess, come on, Peach. Read the room. Read come on, sir. <laughs> Read the, there is a giant dragon turtle boiling to death 20 feet from us in lava. And you got jokes. Yeah. Who almost killed okay. you? Who almost killed you? So I text you at one point that I did have to look up how to get past two parts. Sure. There was one in the desert level where there's the tornado that comes at you. And I couldn't figure out how to get past tornado. Yep. Which you said, just run and jump through. Yep. And then I'm going to save the other one. Well, no, let's get into it. I want to do a little role play. Interesting. In today's world, when you're playing a video game and you get to a spot that you can't get past, you just Google, how do I blank? And there's millions of playthrough videos, there's blogs, and you just look up the answer and then you finish the thing. You get right past it. But like you said in the history, Nintendo had a phone number that was printed on the games in the instruction book that you could call. Yeah. For our listeners, I would like for us to reenact... Just one call in the day in life of a Nintendo support technician. Oh, okay. I'm going to call you up. You help me understand what this would have been like to be an adult on the other end, coaching children all day long through hard parts of Mario games. Okay. Talk us through what you're doing, what's going on, what your setting is when you, when you okay. answer the phone. So you're on hold right now. Your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line for the next available Nintendo Power representative. And on my end, I hear, I hear, click, boop, boop, boop. I'm like, mom, 
Mom, get off the phone. I'm on the phone. Mom, honey, I need to I make a call. I gotta call your aunt. Right, right. <laughs> I gotta call your aunt. What, Mom, I'm on the phone. With who? Nintendo. Nintendo, what? I'm calling Nintendo. <laughs> Click. So I'm like, oh my God, come on. And like, like it's paused in the background. I'm watching the screen. I'm angry. There's bite marks in my controller. Yeah. I'm waiting on hold. And then the way music turns to the World 6 nightmare Freddy Krueger oh. music. That music is terrifying. Okay, did you guys hear that? That is nightmare fuel. Okay. Terrifying. So finally that ends. Welcome to Nintendo Powerline. This is Travis. How can I help you, gamer? Hi, this is Ben. I'm playing Super Mario Brothers. Fantastic, Ben. (laughs) And uh, I'm stuck on a part that I can't get past. I need your help. Specificity is the soul of narrative there, Benny. How about you tell me what the heck's going on? Oh yeah, I'm in I'm in the world where there's all the tunnels, there's lots there's lots of freaking tunnels, and there's white glowing bricks, and I know I need to grab them. I fly up and I get to the top and there's a pipe, but then there's like two little white onion clams that are plants, and there's bricks, and I can't figure out how to get past the onion clams and get up into the pipe. I know exactly what you're talking about there, Benny Boy. <laughs> Benny Boy. <laughs> I bet you tried to carry those white bricks up there and they disappeared before you made it, didn't they? They went away and then I tried to carry a turtle up there and he shook and he came alive and killed me in midair. I was going to say, is there something else you could grab? You have to grab that turtle and be lightning quick there, Benny boy. And that's how you get up there and you knock those little guys out and you make it to the end of the level. Good luck, little guy. Click. Click. (laughs) Thank you for calling Nintendo Power. That'll be $3 a minute. Did you have to pay when you call in? Was that a thing? Do you have to call? I had to have been. First of all, thank you for entertaining me on that little adventure that I sidelined you with. But I was like, can you imagine your job is to be in a call center for like seven-year-olds? I don't want to be in a call center for any-year-olds. For anybody. Like, everyone's a jerk store. But yeah, little kids try, I try to do a thing and I can't. Yeah. Yeah. And you think how kids tell, little kids tell stories is that there's no punctuation. It's a run-on sentence with no specificity. But if you're paying per minute, Nintendo's loving that. Yeah, they're like, go on. Wait, they're could like, you go back to the more, second kiddo. part? What'd you what think? What's was? your favorite part? What'd you think about this, Ben? <laughs> well, yeah. anyway, so I was playing. <laughs> Please stay on the line for a 20-question survey afterwards. Like, their phone calls are longer than our episodes. Absolutely. God, I would love to try and find Nintendo Powerline <laughs> call logs. Just because I'm so curious. What a different life. Yeah. Talk about the strategy guides. You said a strategy guide came out. And yeah. again, that's so different. It's like, um, today... You play video game, you just look online, the help you need, the tips you need, whatever. But back in this day, there was so much hearsay about how to get through stuff that you just had to talk to other people. You had to talk to your friends, your cousins, your family members about where you are in the game. Be like, I'm stuck here. How do you get past that? How do you do that? Oh my gosh, you can drop behind the white bricks and run somewhere. Yeah. It was all through word of mouth how to get through this stuff. And then these guides came out that were maps and like paper books that walked you through. (gasps) Chris has just held up on our camera the Nintendo Power Strategy Guide, Super Mario Brothers 3. Mario's on the front. There's a castle in the background. He's got the Tanuki tail going on. Raccoon tail, buddy. Raccoon Raccoon tail. Raccoon tail. It's the original. The paper is crinkled. I was going to say, describe what you're seeing here. Yeah, there's cracks in it. Oh, it's falling apart. The the spine on the magazine is broken, so it's in sections. Can you tell what what I used to keep this together? Hope and dreams? It's like masking tape. I didn't even use, like, scotch tape. So it's got that, like, brown masking tape. 
Where did you find that? It's with my Super Nintendo and all my other stuff. This is the original Nintendo Power Strategy Guide. $3.50 United States. That's like 90 bucks today with inflation, I think. This one's not going to be worth much in the <laughs> condition it's in, but <laughs> yeah. And it, it runs you through each level. It shows like the map of the level and where everything is and tells you all the secrets. It even tells you when you get the, the matching game, you can find out where all the items are. So what? you can get like full matches. Oh yeah, it's oh, great. Oh my God. To be clear, it's not a strategy guide. It's a cheat book. It's a cheat It gives you book. all the answers. It's like when you took a, a quiz in school and your teacher's like, you can have a cheat sheet. You can have a one-sided Oh, yeah, and you're typing page. in like 0. 0.4 font. And you're, yeah, you're basically writing in yeah, like yeah, microprint. Yeah, yeah. It's basically yeah. what that is. So we had parts of the game that really frustrated us, but we did ask the class of 80s high, what were the hardest parts of Super Mario Brothers 3 yes. that were so difficult for you to get past? And we're going to try and read through these, but knowing that we're trying to be a family PC <laughs> podcast, we're going to have to censor most of these because these brought up some angry memories from people. I got to do this first one because I... Because you, yeah, you empathize. That stupid giant fish on World 3 that would jump up and try to eat you. I hate that a-hole. LOL. Uh, <laughs> they, LOL. But they're like cheerful about their anger. Uh, across all the games, the answer is always Waterland, which can ironically burn in hell. Uh. Is hell okay to say on this? Are we going to get censored for explicit on, no. on hell? It's lowercase anyway, so we're fine. Lowercase. It's not even real. Okay, this person agrees with me. I'm getting all the good ones. The multi-airship level in World 8, unless I had a P-Wing, 100% agree with you, player. A level in World 7 where you had to keep getting an invincibility star fast enough to get to the next uh, one. I remember that one. It's just yeah, yeah, all those yeah, yeah. little chomper guys. Uh, the first level. I was a bit young when I first played and had yet to figure out the whole video game thing. If you hit the first level, this game is not going to go well. Right. And they, they, were, they were like still trying to figure out the concept of video games. That's like, yeah. oh, that is hard. In the castle where there are a ton of rotating fire things. Now, I don't think those are really in this game as much. But those jerk bag, like, those are hard. fire arms. Ugh, For sure. The worst. Skyland. All of it. <laughs> you didn't like Skyland, did you? So Skyland was okay until like you got to there. There were platforms that spun when you got close to them. Yeah. They would just fling you away. Yeah. That was frustrating. Those darn jellyfish in the water world. The water ones in general are just terrible. That was crazy. They're the little jellyfish that like shoot four out and then the four move yeah. around randomly. That and what really drove me nuts about that is the shoots out and the little ones can leave the water and then float through the air, which I didn't think made sense biologically. So I didn't think about that. And then one of the little ones killed me outside of the water. Well, that's what you get in the game with flying raccoons. It's like Tremors. They're evolving. Skyland had a level where you had to jump between flying black turtle-like critters. The last jump was brutal. Uh, and of course, every level on Darkland. I remember hopping between the little flying turtles. Like, you jump on them and they don't die. Yeah. And that was like a any movie... But any, they kind of bounce again, so the physics right. is like tricky. Any level that forced you to move faster than you wanted to, that was always stressful for me. Well, that that's what that stupid airship was in level eight. Because that yeah. thing books. It's like twice the speed. And the physics were a little off so i ended up falling so many times because it would like just nudge you off the edge Oof. before we leave chemistry you the, you the last question you asked was what were things i liked and didn't like about it what we've really ruminated upon was how freaking hard a lot of it was yeah a couple little things that i took away that like just didn't make it shine for me the type of games i choose to put hours and i'm talking hundreds of hours into mm -hmm. are, are story rich games yeah i love mass effect i love assassin's creed I love Witcher, like deep narratives. There's really no obvious apparent story in Mario. Rescue the princess. That's Rescue it. the princess. And then these random like 
kings, I think, that have been turned into random animals. That's true. But it's like, just keep moving to the right. Just keep going to the right. Jump on stuff and rescue the humans. Yeah. That's just not a light spot for me. And lastly, the music. Super Mario 3 has iconic music. Mm -hmm. And you remember the music because there's only like four tracks. The worlds all have a theme song that is unique. Right. But when you get to the individual levels, there's like only three or four songs that play over and over and over again for all these hours. It was cute after the first two worlds. And then I was like, if I have to hear this song again. <laughs> Although any underground. That's fire. That is a bang and beat. I like the airships. Yeah, it was good. But anyway, like I was a little disappointed in the variety of music. That's fair. And again, you know, I think that's one of the limitations of the age. I wouldn't say the storytelling part is a limitation, but I just feel like there's a different sensibility now of what people want from games as the medium has developed over the decades. Yeah. The last thing I do want to say about this game that I can't stress enough, I think what really captivated so many people were all the secrets. Yeah. It gave this game a replay value that, I mean, there were secrets in the first Mario, there's secrets in tons of other games, but this one had so many. You had things on the world map where you could get to these other locations. Ben, I don't know if you encountered one of these. You can actually activate a white mushroom house. No. There's certain conditions and it'll pop up. And then I think that's where you get the anchor. There's a yeah. coin ship that you can also activate. And this I is did, actually, I got on the coin ship. I found the coin ship. You got a coin ship. Okay. That was cool. So this is actually based on, again, in folklore of Japan, it's the oh. Takarabune. It's a mythical ship that delivered the gods and they had treasures on board. How cool is that? Other fun secret, Chain Chomp can break free after 49 attacks. Didn't know that. After it lunges at you 49 times, it can break loose. So Uh. if you stand there long enough, you could actually break loose. That's pretty funny. I like that. Uh, We already talked about the Tanuki and kind of where that came from. Another interesting part about the Tanuki suit, though, the statue part of it is based off of uh, Ojizo-sama which is a guardian spirit that protects villages and travelers. Oh, very So that's cool. kind of what the statue part was based after. The Thwomp, do you know what the Thwomp is? Oh, that's right. But I know about the ghost, but I don't know what the Thwomp is. Yeah, so there's one about the ghost. I'll, I'll leave that to you. But like the Thwomp is the big black guy that drops down. He's got like the, the gritted teeth and he tries to drop on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Thwomp is based on a mythical demon that would appear as an impassable wall or barrier. Oh, and then the last one, which I thought was really awesome, is, well, actually, do yours first. So you, the one about the ghost. You said you learned about that one. So in the game, if you haven't played it, there's an enemy that is a ghost that is floating. Boo. And if you look at it, it won't move. And, yeah, thank you, boo. If you look at the enemy, it won't move any closer to you. But if you turn your back on it, it'll fly at you really fast. Yeah, it has like a mean face, too, when yeah. it does. And Miyamoto is quoted somewhere. It could be gamer mythology. It could be true. I haven't done my research. But that it's based on his partner, who, whenever he was working hard on the Mario games, would nag and come at him like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Come on, like wanting attention. But if he would give her attention, then she wouldn't bother him and attack him. Yeah, she's she's normally like a very shy person. But when he would work late, she'd get really mad at him. I have this tangent story, though. And I don't know if it really relates to the game or not. But when we were when we visited Beijing and we went to the Forbidden City, all around the Forbidden City, and you'll see these elsewhere in like, in especially in older, older China and Beijing and outside, was an, a mythological animal called a dragon turtle. Mm-hmm. It's the shell of a turtle, but it's like a dragon head coming out of the shell hmm. and like big killer claws coming out. Yeah. It's built in architecture for defense and protection. Like it's a strong animal. But man, you look at it and you're like, that is Bowser. 
That is hundred mm. percent Bowser and the Bowser children are dragon turtles. Again, yeah. that's Chinese, so very different from Japanese folklore, but I just wonder if there's any cross pollination. I hadn't heard of that before. Huh. That's cool. I'll send you a picture. What's what's the big finale though you got? What you got? So this is totally like a small thing, but when you hear about it, you're like, that's so cool. So in World Three, when you get to the final castle, it's on a series of islands. And the series of islands are in a shape very similar to the islands of Japan. Oh. And the castle is situated on this one particular island, which if you look at a map of Japan, lines up with Kyoto. Kyoto used to be the capital of Japan. Oh, it's yeah, also yeah. the location of Nintendo headquarters. Oh, cool. And the king you rescue in that one looks strikingly like Mario. So the whole idea is like, this is a little bit of a nod. Kyoto HQ, Mario's king of the castle. I thought that that's was awesome. awesome. That's very, uh, that's a great Great find. Super cool find. Well played. I think we've finally gotten through a chemistry class, unless you had anything else you wanted to bring up at no, this I, point. No, I have really plumbed the well. That's all I got. Uh, I don't know what's on the lunch menu today. I can't remember. Did they say it was mushrooms, it mushrooms, mushrooms, flowers, f- frog legs, <laughs> frog legs, and, uh, and tanuki steaks, tanuki steaks. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be so good. Let's dig in. We're going to tuck in and uh, we'll see you on the other side, yo. Super Mario Brothers 3 from Nintendo. Now you're playing with power. That's great, like hold music. That, hopefully that's what played when you called into Nintendo. And then whatever the death music is. That's about how far I There it is. There it is. Okay. I don't want to go down too many rabbit holes in contemporary culture because there's 8 billion Mario games. But a couple things I want to mention. Yeah. This game was so freaking popular, so freaking loved. It got re-released umpty bajillion times. That's a real number. Umpteen bajillion. So obviously it came out on the Super Nintendo as part of the All-Stars. It was re-released on the Game Boy Advance. It was on the Wii. It was on the 3DS. It was on the Classic Mini, the little tiny Nintendo. On the Virtual Console. And Mm. it's on Switch Online. So, obviously, people still love this game. It's everywhere. It's on emulators around the world. It's on emulators. (laughs) You name it, it's there. And, of course, we know there's so many Mario incarnations. What do we have? The Mario Kart series. We have the Mario Galaxy series. The Paper Mario games. We have Mario Party games. What else do we have, Ben? Literally, right now, they're testing the rides and getting ready to open Super Nintendo World at Universal Studios in Japan, which is a what? whole theme park world. Really? It is really amazing. Oh, wow. It is what Mario went on to inspire. Absolutely. Decades later. Uh, Dr. Mario, of course. <laughs> oh, so much Dr. Mario. I don't think there was a second Dr. Mario, but there's at least the one. And also, not to mention, a lot of the other characters got their own games. Yoshi has games. Wario has games. Luigi has games. There's tons. There's so much out there. Was was there ever Super Lakitu World? Like, did he ever get his own game? Oh, that jerk. Just he, dropping bombs on people? Or wrench weasels. Like, he wrench. teams up with the wrench weasels. <laughs> oh. So true. 
And the other two things I really want to talk about that I think were different Mario games, but beloved in their own right was, I talked about one, Super Mario Maker, which again, this is, you don't like the levels, you play them too much, you know them by heart, go make your own. And share them and let other people try and beat them. Yes. And I'm sure you can go find, again, a sadist dream on any YouTube video where people have built these insane jigsaw-esque torture devices. My favorite sadist dream that I've seen from Mario Maker is um, you can change whatever character you, you're playing as. Yeah. So I guess there's a there's a tool in one of the Mario games that is a spring that you can jump up and down on. Okay. So they've made Mario the spring. And so you're bouncing and you start the level and you go down a pipe and you drop through the pipe and it's a room of like 300 springs. Oh my goodness. So they're all bouncing around. So you have no idea which spring... And the goal is just to get through the pipe on the other end of the room. My heart hurts so it's much right now. so insane. Oh my gosh. But again, so very insane. cool because unlocks the creativity. Your imagination yeah. is more or less the limit. The other one's Mario Paint. Oh yeah. And that was another, again, like I've heard people compose really amazing music on Mario Paint. Yeah. It's fantastic. I forgot so about I those Mario were, Paint. Those were cool because they were creative builder games that use the Mario franchise as a way to engage people and, you know, unlock their creativity. And I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have specific IPs that I can point to that I feel like Mario definitely inspired. Mm -hmm. I I went to more like um, conceptual ideas. Okay. You know, it's definitely not the first, but it might be one of the most popular side-scroller platforms of all time. Yeah. There's still lots of indie games being made today that are platforms. There's just simple platforming concepts that Mario did of like, you have to time it and jump on this moving platform that's going to go back and forth or up mm-hmm. and down or pipes, you know, you warp to somewhere else unknown. Whoa. And like the music changes when you're in that new place. Right. Again, definitely not the first. You had plenty of like Mega Man before. You had more Mario properties before it, but it really popularized that game style for sure. Yeah. And this is another one I don't have enough gamer experience to know if this is legit or not, but... As I played through Super Mario Brothers 3, I thought, like, each world is very thematic. This mm-hmm. is the grassland. This is the ice land. Right. This is big land. This is sky land. Especially when I think of Mega Man games. But other games going forward, you know, you got into very specific geographies. Yeah. Or regions. Even you think of modern day games like Grand Theft Auto, GTA Five. Right. You're like in the wealthy banking part of town. You're in the slums. You're on the beach side. You're like, in the desert. Yeah. So like that that thematic geography and climate, I think, was a really big influence from Super Mario Brothers Three. Even a game like Subnautica, right? There's different oh, yeah. biomes in that game where it's like the safe shallows, and then this is the mushroom forest, and yeah, exactly. Uh, and the only other thing, more like conceptually, that I think Mario helped influence is you know we talked about this a little bit, but like leveling up and progression Mm. it's it's a different mechanic with mario right like it's giving you more lives it's giving you tools that you can burn off it's giving you shortcuts to cheat the game but like the difficulty is going to ramp up and here's how we're going to help you ramp up as it goes along yeah which again i don't know if it's an originator of that concept but that is a very core concept of modern day gaming of your character being bestowed with power so that you can deal with an increasingly difficult game. Yeah. I had no recollection of how many freaking super-ups you could bank in your inventory. I had three pages by the time I was in World 8. Oh, I think I had way more than three. But... That's not so many things. Yeah, it's crazy. It's great. Um, so that's, that's what I thought were like the main influences from it. Yeah, and I think what carried on from Super Mario Bros. 3 was the overworld map. Like that was a new concept for yeah. 3. 
Mario World, and even the ones up to this day have that kind of traversable map that you can walk around, and that's sort of how you navigate through. Uh, Power-up inventory is another thing that's, again, it's not the first game to do it, but future Mario games have that in them. Yeah, you think of like uh, the Mario Party series is all a walkable map that you walk around on. It looks yeah, kind of similar to like the layout of the worlds in Mario 3. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's got the little lines and you've got the points or kind of your stop points yeah. where you do some sort of game or interaction of some Friend kind. ruining interaction of some right. kind. <laughs> Other things that carry through flying ability has remained a staple in pretty much all the Mario games. Like this is the oh, first yeah. one where you could do the flying and that's always there. It's the cape in Mario World and the Wii Mario Brothers. It's like a propeller thing he has on his head, but they all mm. have some kind of flying ability. As a side note, that on the Wii is one of my favorite Mario games of all time. The new Super Mario Brothers. That's really good. It was like a red case and you could play like four players at a time on four it. Four at a time. You could get like the penguin suit. Yes. And there it's was, a uh, really yeah. fun Mario game. It was great. It was so well done. Yeah. A great way to do sort of a modern concept of a classic game. Yeah, for sure. Certain suits make reappearances, like the Tanuki shows up again, the Koopalines show up again. But this is really cool. I didn't realize this. This was the first game to have the Mario font, like that kind of oh. blocky, stylized font. And that becomes the standard for all future titles. Interesting. But that was the first one to have that font. Some graphic designer out there who's like 90 feels really yeah. proud that they're like, that was me. That was I me. I did the Mario font. I didn't realize that. And I saw that. I was like, that's cool. I'm going to download for Photoshop the Mario font suite. I would like to have that. And then just two little fun facts I saw. So the Dream Team is kind of what the group was called, the 10 or so designers for this game. Yeah. A lot of these guys still work at Nintendo to this day. Seriously. I think Miyamoto's even still there. That's so impressive. So they've gone on to be involved in tons of games. Star Fox, Animal Crossing, Ocarina of Time, tons more. But these really huge standout beloved titles and franchises really in the history. And speaking of Animal Crossing, I thought this was hilarious. Apparently Tom Nook, the slumlord and crime boss that, <laughs> oh, that guy. Yeah, 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 ruins okay. your life, he's supposed to be a Tanuki. Oh, of course he is. It's a Tanuki. I was like, of course oh, he is. everyone calls him a raccoon. Technically he's a Tanuki. That's great. Anything else you have? I came into this barely knowing anything about Super Mario Brothers 3. So I have really, I've burned through everything I've got. It's time to count the coins. It's time to go through our inventory. It's time to hit the block at the end of the level and see how all of this adds up if we get more lives or if it's game over, man. Game over, man! What say you, Benjamin? What is your ruling? You are the king of the ninth castle. There has been straight up Koopa genocide and I got jokes. Koopacide. Koopacide. I, you know, I respect it for what it was. Yeah. I find it cute and charming in some ways. Kind of like what I said about some of like the Game Boy games. Like Nintendo's whole thing is charming, cute in general. For sure. So that's great. There is a lot of creativity in a very like mathematical sense that I think mm. is fun. Like the timing and how worlds are built and how you get through stuff and like how the game progresses that timing to be more difficult. Yeah. Where it's like, aha, you figured out how to get past a piranha plant, but have you figured out how to get past a fire-breathing piranha plant? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I respect all that. This week was probably my last playthrough of Super Mario Brothers 3 ever. Like, <laughs> okay. Without cheating like I did and saving whenever you can, it's a pretty freaking hard game, especially if the concept is you have to leave the console on if you want to keep progressing. Sure. In a diversified hobby and obligation life, 
is something that's really hard to accomplish as an adult. Yeah. So there are parts of it that are fun, but I can't say that it holds up perfectly and like just as equally enjoyably as I was as a child with three months to burn on summer break. Right. As it does. I don't really have a grade score for it, but I would just say it's okay. It's all right. That's fair. When I thought about it, I was like, fun is relative. It's relative in terms of who's experiencing the thing. And it's also relative, I think, in the aspect of when. That's both in terms of time and age. This is not a type of game or genre that I really like, and I have a small appetite for it these days. Yeah. Back then, it's what we had. And for the time, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Because we probably had less things to do, and that was the most advanced thing we had, we spent more time with it and probably would power through the frustrations more because, again, it's what we had. At my age, there's just games that I enjoy more, that I appreciate more. Time-based jumping, dodging, the frustration outweighs the fun for me. Yeah. However, I have such fantastic memories of this game. We've clearly talked about its influence on future games. I feel like it's one I might revisit every now and then just to get a little bit of the nostalgia button, you know, a little hit of the, the dopamine. But there's so many more modern Mario games that I feel are far superior. So oh, yeah. I'd much rather go play some of those. But this is a, it's a great little door to open, peek back in, have some fun, and then leave it where it is. Probably the most enduring thing to me, again, besides the charm of it, is I love the secrets. I love it when Easter eggs are in there. I love it when there's just these little things that you can do if you want, but don't have to. It shows a care and attention to detail that is behind all good work. Mm-hmm. And I always appreciate that. I love your takeaway. Like, I respect what it is and what it was. I don't necessarily enjoy it all the way out today. Yeah. I almost broke my Super Nintendo by throwing it out of a fourth story window. (laughs) No. I found myself getting frustrated. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like my childhood again, where I was getting rage. I was like, oh dear, I need to stop. I hear you. Anyway, fun trip down memory lane. And uh, speaking of fun trips on memory lane, I feel like you've got another stroll waiting to be revealed. So the last episode, you inspired me the last episode. Oh. When you popped Mario 3, you were like, I want to do something I really love. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. What about me? What about me? <laughs> because my last several topics have been influenced by other people. You know, we had the one person who was like, you should do Pat Benatar. Yeah. We had somebody who was like, you should do Calvin and Hobbes. And then you said, you should shut your mouth and let me do my own thing. <laughs> and I was like, I started this because there's stuff I love. Yeah, stay in your lane, everybody. Don't tell Ben what to like. Don't tell Ben what to do. <laughs> and I feel like I've I've done my community service. I've, yeah. I've I answered the crowd. It's time for it's my time. Treat yourself, Ben. You treat you yourself. Treat myself. So, in the vein of Calvin and Hobbes, the idea of Hobbes and making a friend. Okay. So I was trying to think of this last year. A lot of the last twelve months in this in this entire world, there has been a large dose of how do we all stay healthy mentally in some level of isolation. Mm -hmm. And I was inspired by an incredible solution to that in the 1980s. And it spurred one of my favorite theme songs of all time to come into my head. Okay. In the not too distant future, (laughs) next Sunday AD. Next time on 80s High, we're going to the Satellite of Love with Joel Joel. Crow and Tom Servo. Tom Servo. We're going to go up there to Satellite of Love to go to one of the greatest series of all time to mock film 
horror tragedies. Oh my god! Mystery Science Theater three thousand. We're talking like C movies. They're not even <laughs> not even B, B movies. movies. No, but they turn them into A movies because their mockery is amazing. So good. But I'm so excited. This is one of my favorite TV series of all time. It oh, has great. largely shaped my humor and creativity. Um, so next time, 80s High, Mystery Science Theater 3000. We've got movie side. On 80s High. Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical!